You're now tuned into another episode of The Underground. Each week, we dive into what it means to create, nurture, and live in communities everywhere. This is The Underground with Ryan Moore and Justin Lon Carrick. Welcome, welcome to another episode of the Underground Podcast. I'm Justin, and with me is Ryan. What's up, bud? You know what? I can't complain. Can't complain. Can't complain. Um, life is good. Vaccines are on the way. Vaccines are on the way, and at the end of the day, the real estate market is somewhat strong for me and for us, so I am not complaining. Somewhat. I'm looking at my listings going up in my neighborhood, and they just climb day after day. You own a home? A townhouse. Townhouse in Burlington? In Burlington, North Burlington. How long have you owned that? I am going on my fifth year. You're going on your fifth year? Yes. Well, uh, what what was the experience like for you when you bought it? So it's a little bit of a different experience. My dad actually bought the house as a new build um, way back probably 2000, 2000, 2001, 2002, I think. Anyways, he bought the house way back then as a new build, moved in. Um, when he was ready to move out, my sister actually bought it from him. And then when my sister was ready to move out, I bought it from my sister. So from new build, the house has only been in my family. Uh, so you bought it from your sister. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, so we've never used a so realtor you never, you it. never actually did a real real estate no. transaction. Yeah, no, it's just been, been kind been of it. bought hand-to-hand through family. Interesting. So you've got a lot to learn from us then. I do. Yes. We've got some pretty spectacular guests today. I've tried to pick the best of the best from the people that I know in my world. Uh, I've been doing real estate for 16 years and you know, it's interesting to have a parents in the industry because you learn a lot from them about what to do. You learn a lot about what not to do, but it's also great to have a mastermind group and people you can rely on outside of those people that will you can learn from every day. In fact, um, one of these uh, folks that I was with today or that we're with today, I was with a couple of weeks ago and we banged ideas back and forth about marketing and, and videos and things that we were doing. And it was probably one of the most, I don't know, like it was a really great experience to be able to hammer those ideas back and forth. It's kind of similar to me with coaching. If I'm ever out on the ice with a coach that I haven't been with before, or I'm experiencing kids telling me about what their other coaches have done with them, it's always interesting to see what other people are doing because people do approach things differently and it can create amazing results because now you're starting to encompass everything. So on the podcast today, we have Williams Fulton real estate agents. This is their team, Williams Fulton, April Williams and Stacy Fulton. They both have over 20 years combined experience and have worked together in some capacity for their entire careers. And then they partner together to form a team that excels in service and is solution driven. April and Stacy, how are you today? Hello. Hello. Thanks for having me, you guys. And, you know, I didn't want to leave this podcast short. I mean, April and Stacy are amazing, but we thought we'd just blow it out of the water with Ara Memorian, who's the managing partner at the Spring Team. And haps, happens to also be a lover of all things urban. If That's you're right. if you're real estating east of Young Street, you should be working with Ara. Apparently, where did you read that? Is that an old bio I have somewhere? Maybe it's the only <laughs> thing you got on your website, my friend. So I mean, hey, I'm just trying uh, to yes. I'm trying to make you yeah. sound good. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, it's a pretty easy job you have there. You know what I mean? <laughs> That's why don't we start with 
in general where you guys work out of. Ara, you're sort of a downtown kind of guy. Yeah. Give yeah, me a little I mean, bit of that. Um, like, like you said in the intro, uh, my true specialty is sort of the east end of Toronto from, say, Young or even Parliament East all the way through to a community called Birchcliff. But the, the business has sort of evolved into, you know, you can't contain this beast in just one area of the city, you know what I mean? So um, evolved into sort of all the urban uh, communities from east to west, not venturing too far away from the downtown core. I've often said that you could take small areas in almost any city and portion them off. And there's significant amounts of money to be made in each of these small areas. So you don't really have to market outside of those areas, but what tends to happen is your client over here talks to someone over there. And next thing you know, it starts to kind of grow, right? Uh, April and uh, Stacy, where do you guys work out of? So we work on the west side of Young Street compared to Ara. Ah. So the majority of our clients are in the downtown core or the west end of the city. We go typically as far as, say, Mississauga-Oakville on the west side. I grew up in Mississauga, so I'm very comfortable going out that far. Stacey actually grew up on the east side of the city. So if we have clients over there, she kind of handles that more so. But I'd say the majority of our clients are central Toronto or west end of the city. What's your, what are you seeing in the market right now in your area? So just to give frame of reference, we're recording this kind of end of December with probably releasing it early in January. So we may see a bit of a shift, but what are you seeing right now as far as the way the market is, is in your area specifically? I feel like all of a sudden, I don't know what happened over the last three weeks, but all of a sudden people are coming out again. I mean, we've been pretty lucky this year, it hasn't been a horrible year. It's actually been a good year for, for us, considering the situation with COVID. I feel like a lot of people have been sitting on the fence for a while. We've been nurturing a lot of clients, and now they're kind of ready to go out there. For condos, it's actually a great market. If you're a condo buyer, it's actually refreshing for me. I mean, I think Ara and Stacey would agree. You know, we're not competing with, like, 12 other offers on every condo that we're seeing. So it's giving us an opportunity to kind of show places to our clients, have them go home, take their time, think about things, negotiate. But the housing market, on the other hand, is a completely different market. We've been competing with a lot of multiple offers, and it's it hasn't changed at all. Ara, is the is the condo supply high right now? No, I mean, I mean listen, relatively speaking to how it normally is, I would, I guess so. But <clears throat> like I look at I look at these numbers every single week and look specifically in the downtown core and the surrounding urban communities. And over the past nine weeks, every single week, there's been a drop in the number of available units for sale mm. to the tune of like over the past nine weeks. I just ran the numbers this morning and we're at the same level of listings that we had back in July. And the very interesting thing about that is the end of July is when buyers remove the seller from that driver's seat in condo land and buyer opportunities started to show up across the board. So it seems like that listing level of like just over 2,200 available condo listings in the downtown core and surrounding urban communities. seems like that magic number is 2,200 where if we're kind of getting below 2,200 available listings, sellers tend to grab a little bit more control of the market where if we're getting, you know, beyond that, we were as high as 3,500 listings nine weeks ago. And, you know, if you were a buyer in condo land nine weeks ago, you were getting all kinds of deals. 
that's kind of, you know, the, the window, the window on that is slowly closing. It's interesting that you guys are, are bringing that up about the availability of condos and how the market it seems to be strong. When I, when I listen to the news, I'm obviously not in the real estate market or anything like that. But when I listen to the news, they say COVID has kind of taken people away from the condo market. The, the people are shying away from the condo market. But then we hear here that that's not really the case. There are people. What I think I'm hearing is it's almost like a vacuum. People are moving away. Other people are like, oh, there's the opportunity. Move in. Would you guys say that's kind of what's happening in the city condo market? Yeah. 100%. I think it's from what I've been seeing with our client. Essentially, the people that have kids and have outgrown their space are taking this as an opportunity to leave the city, move to a place that has a bigger yard, you know, maybe going from three bedrooms to four bedrooms, getting a pool. Whereas a lot of our first time buyers are seeing huge opportunities to get out there. I have one client that bought a condo two months ago and she had been looking for a year and there was no opportunities for her with her price range. And she just ended up finding the most amazing one bedroom with a den and parking and locker. And pre COVID it wouldn't have been affordable for her. Yeah. There's definitely been some opportunities, but like Ara said, I do think that that window of opportunity might be closing and mm. not so much on the larger units. It's more the smaller units that we're seeing that opportunity in. So, so what we're hearing about on the news then, I guess, is, is yes, there are people leaving and not wanting that type of lifestyle anymore. But on the flip side yeah. of that, we're not hearing about the people that are like, oh, okay, let's jump in there now. But, but it's also really important to understand that, you know, a lot of what people say isn't driven by any sort of reality or, yeah. <laughs> or, or, or fact, it seems. But like when you look deeper into it, you know, both Amazon and Google have doubled down on their downtown retail space in this past week. Before that, Google had already committed to 500,000 square feet of, retail, of, of, of office space at 62 King Street East. Like, that didn't change during COVID. So the fundamentals of what make downtown Toronto amazing, they definitely changed during peak lockdown. But, you know, and one thing, you know, the condo market is not strong now. It's just better than it was nine weeks ago, and it's getting better every single week. So condos today are still cheaper than they were March, April. You know, that's a fact in most cases. There are condos selling in the 400s that would have sold mid-fives to six pre-COVID. Mm-hmm. Like, that's a thing that that's very real. But, you know, but we're just kind of slowly improving. So if, there's, if there are people listening to this, they think they're like, they've missed their opportunity. That's not the case. That's interesting that you bring up Google and Amazon buying office space. One thing that I was interested to hear is I myself live downtown uh, Toronto for school. I went to Ryerson, so I lived at Young and Dundas for four years. But what I didn't like about it, I didn't like the hustle and bustle, but I didn't have to be downtown. I didn't get a job after school and I wasn't downtown. What is the value of living downtown? Obviously, I guess it's employment and opportunity. With COVID and everything, do you still see that there will be value to living downtown and in the Toronto City area? Oh, if that, if that floats your boat, then sure, yeah, go for it, April. No, I'm just saying 100%. I think people, you know, we've had clients that have upsized their condos um, that still want to be downtown. They still want accessibility. They still want to walk you know, walk their kids to school, walk and get coffee, you know, go shopping, be in the neighborhood, but still be close to transit. I think that's a, still a huge priority for a lot of people, for yeah. sure. 
things are still, I mean, we're hoping that we get back to normal sooner than later, but all the great things that made people want to live downtown will still exist. I think it's just provided other people some opportunities to maybe work outside of the city or get a backyard with kids. But living downtown is, is always a great, it's a lifestyle choice, right? And people will hopefully be going back to work in offices, not as much, but um, they still want the convenience of not having to have their car and do things by foot and restaurants. I had a deal just last week on the weekend that had 14 offers in and I really found it. You have to be really diligent relating to like with relation to how to manage those offers coming in. And one of the challenges that we've had as we've gone along through this market with all these multiple offer situations, especially on the buyer side, and I'm going to call it out is agents that don't know what they're doing with the multiple offers as listing agents. It really frustrates the hell out of me because I got buyers that have lost listings or lost opportunity because the listing agents haven't been diligent or don't understand or don't really know the process properly. So maybe maybe I'll start with April or Stacy. How how are you handling it and what are you doing to make sure that your sellers are truly getting a top offer for the best money possible at the time? I think the hardest thing, and I always say this to Stacey, sometimes the hardest part of negotiating is not necessarily with the clients, but how you, how the other agent deals with the situation and having egos involved. We try and be as transparent as possible. We try and be fair. I think we try and provide as much information to make the deal go smoothly and to have, you know, if we're the listing agents, obviously, to provide enough information that we can get our clients a, a good price and a firm offer. I, I think you may have seen my post, Justin. I, I didn't. I have a client that's looking outside the city, and we've just been going through multiple offer hell. Every house has just been crazy, 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 and it's getting crazier. They essentially did an offer on a home, went way over asking, and then they, there's 15 offers, and the agent did not communicate very much with anybody. And it turns out they ended up accepting an offer that was conditional on financing. And I just thought that was a little bit odd considering they had 15 offers and it's kind of a big risk for them as well too. And it turns out it was a good choice for the seller. They, they got quite a bit over asking. I'm actually surprised they were able to get financing with how much they offered on this home based on the comparable sales, but I don't know their situation. So I think every agent handles that different. I think, you know, the best thing and the only thing you can do is really prepare your clients to go in, you know, and be prepared for the multiple offers and go in with a good offer and do your due diligence beforehand, for sure. The only challenge there is like trying to get people to understand that it's not just the comparable that matters. And when you're talking to a buyer, it's like there could have been a place that was relatively similar to what we're making an offer on now that sold a month ago. But a month ago versus today, the market is very different. So coming up with today's value and using that comparable as a guideline has been a huge challenge to kind of determine what is the current market, you know, like what what is the premium for the type of seller's market that we're in right now versus when that comparable sold. And that's that unknown that's either making people, you know, who see a ton more value than you do go way over the top or, or come in at a more reasonable number. It's a seller's market right now. And what I'm hearing too is is in our area in Burlington, we're hearing about multiple offers on, on lots of homes and we're seeing the prices starting to climb. Some people right now are forced into having to buy. They're just their life situation is I have to buy a house now. What would I know we're getting the realtor perspective on this, but would you say 
by now. There's other people out there that are completely ignorant to the to the housing market that just see, oh, house prices are climbing, multiple offers, there's a bubble. And they say that right away, right? And people jump to that. And you hear that all the time. That spooks people a little bit. What's your advice for finding the best deal right now? Is it do you wait a couple months for this to for the chaos of post COVID to kind of calm down? Is it do you get in now before the prices spike even higher? Is are we heading towards a cliff? What's going to happen? Yeah, I don't. I think probably we all agree on the panel that we think that things are going to heat up in the spring. Actually, so I think some people there's been so much buyers pent up for even from 2019 that the inventory hasn't been able to catch up. So I think that's going to continue. And I would say, you know, get in sooner than later. I also feel like when people try and contact me and say, we're looking for a deal, can you find me a deal? There's not very many deals to be had. There really isn't unless, you know, they're looking for something very specific. If you're looking for a deal, flip a house is kind of. Yeah. Or, you know, if you're looking for like, you know, maybe like a, a one bedroom or bachelor condo right now, but there really is, are not a lot of deals out there to be honest. Yeah. Deals are tough to come by in this market. You know, you can go knock on doors all you want. Deals are, are there, but they're few and far between. But so, um, so generally what you guys are saying is, is the prices you anticipate the prices are going to start climbing and climbing and climbing more and more. Well, like, I think anybody who has tried to time the market has probably failed. Like, it's just not a reason. And, and anybody who immediately shouts bubble is not basing that on any form of reality. Yeah. And so I tend to not pay attention to those things. But, you know, the past 10 years, we've had a fairly consistent, like, it's, we've had a spring market for like 10 years. Mm-hmm. And so we don't really have any traditional kind of markets where, okay, let's wait until winter because stuff will be cheaper in the winter time or or whatever. What we've had are like this consistent, like amazing seller's market, specifically for houses anyway. And what we've had are like waves of buyers getting tired. And so we've had little dips here and there. So what I mean is like, you'll have a hot seller's market, offers, 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 like stuff going crazy. And then, you know, buyers start to get a little bit tired. So they stop showing up to the offer table. But at the same time, sellers are seeing these big prices and they're putting their houses on the market which increases the inventory, but buyer activity remains the same or drops off a little. So then we have these little lulls of like, oh my God, the market's crashing. They last like a week and a half or two weeks. And then all of a sudden, sellers stop putting their places on the market because they're not getting those big numbers, creates an inventory deficiency, but then buyer buyers are still there at the same level and they start to come out more. Then that creates that next spike. And then the same kind of sentiment thing happens again. So it's been a, an interesting ride. I don't know what it's 100% like in your area, but I know when I look through the stats of the last 50 years for the Hamilton-Burlington area where we work out of, the 50-year average stats, it's like a curve up. Even though there's been little dips in it, it well, always ends up... out far enough. Like, what's, that's just where you're at. Like, yeah, but, but my overall point becomes is that it's like anything. If I buy stocks today, I bought stock in a several different companies in 2007, right before the shit hit the fan. And my whole mindset there was, oh crap. But then it was, oh, I'll just wait it out. I don't need to sell these. And in most cases, people aren't buying general real estate as a family or whatever in your in your realm to suddenly sell it two, two months later. No. So hold, like just wait. 
<laughs> you, do you know what the do you know what the Toronto um, annual average appreciation is or averaged over the past sixty years? Let's hear it. it it's five percent a year. Yeah. If you look at if you look at it over the past sixty years, despite what happened, you know everybody will be like, "Oh, what's happening now? Look what what happened in the late eighties. Yeah, look what happened in the late eighties. There was a crash. But then during that time, there's like all these people have never take into account how Toronto is different today than it was during those times. Mm-hmm. Toronto, you know, and I hate to sound so like arrogant about it, but wasn't the talk of the world then, no. like it is now. Like we didn't have championship teams then, like we do now. We didn't have world class artists coming out of every nook and cranny of Toronto then, and we do now. Like I hate to say it, but like we can blame the rappers and Drake for real estate prices <laughs> in Toronto. <laughs> it's so true. I mean, people have definitely had like I've never had people really be like, "Oh, you're from Toronto." Like I have, I was in Florida last year and I went, was at the Gap and I had to show my driver's license to, for something and this girl's like, you're from Toronto? Oh my I'm God, six. that's so cool. I can't wait to go. I love Drake. Do you know Drake? <laughs> like, you guys are from the Drake. You guys are from the six. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's running through the six with your woes, eh? Yeah, exactly. With all the woes. Drake looks like he hangs out with Toronto as a whole, but really he doesn't. There's security around his <laughs> he, house. He like shows crazy. up with security. <laughs> my education from, from school and background is around built around uh, urban and uh, commercial development, actually. That's what I was... So you're smarter than you look is what you're saying? A little bit. My head's been rattled around through hockey, but the other, (laughs) so we don't know how much stayed, but the, the, the one thing that I do know about Toronto is it is an extremely diverse city, not only culturally, but with jobs, it's expertise. It has finance, it has industry, it has all the above. That's what makes Toronto such a strong city to stand behind is if one industry falters, there's other industries to keep it propped up. What that does is that drives employment, which drives people needing homes to live in. And I think that that's what real estate means to me is, is, you know, it's an investment. Obviously everyone, I think that's pretty universal. Everyone views it as an investment, but to me, it's where can I get in the best and where can I exit the best? And right now, my friends, I'm I'm at an age where a lot of people in Burlington, my friends have to move out of Burlington because they can't afford Burlington. They've grown up through their houses with, through, with their parents and now they're all moving to Hamilton, Waterdown, Kitchener, Brantford. But the banks have a big control over when people that are first entering the market are going to buy because I know that they've lowered their rates right now. The rates for lending right now are very low. So a lot of my friends are like, we need to jump on the market now. Do you guys see that effect in Toronto? It's a lot easier for first-time home buyers, for sure. I don't think interest rates are going anywhere, and I think there's going to be potentially more incentives from the government to kind of push that sector of the market. I read that. I think, I mean, you guys can tell me if I'm wrong, but I saw an article yesterday that HSBC came out with a 0.99. 0.99. Yeah, but yeah. there's a 0.99% that has like an asterisk beside it, right? Yeah. It's just the same. It's the same. It's not a five-year fixed rate. It's a closed mortgage that's attached to their lending rate. So as their rate changes, that rate changes. So it's just like when Motive Financial and uh, Laurentian Bank released these like 3.1% high interest savings accounts. I opened an account, put a whole bunch of money in there, and like six weeks later, oh, by the way, we're back down to like 1.2% now. So it's just one of those. HSBC is making a huge play for residential mortgages right now. And this is just one of their marketing tools. And the other, the other problem I've heard about that is that the lineup is a 
10 miles long to try to get into that product right now because of the excitement around it. So you're doing a deal today and good luck trying to get an approval in the next week on that. Yeah. That's right? the tough part. Yeah. I think it does create though, a huge opportunity. I always reflect back to like when I bought my first home, I had a condo at the time I was paying 5.75% interest yeah. right on my condo. And the condo was only 130,000 that I bought. I sold it when I got married and we bought our first home and we were paying 1.7% on our first home. And my mortgage was like half of what it was mm. for my condo. And I always like reflect back to that and give me an opportunity to put down extra money and all that kind of stuff. So it is a great opportunity for some people. I, I, I look back to, I was talking to my mom about this the other day she, when she bought her place in Burlington, when we moved, first moved in in 85, their mortgage rate was 14%. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> So yeah. we're not doing too badly right now. That's no, for sure. Uh, so if I want to list my home, well, in general, anytime, but in this time, sort of how soon, maybe I'll throw this up for Stacy in April. How soon should we be contacting a realtor when we're getting ready to list a home? Is it like a week before, 10 days before? What's your guideline for that? What are you telling people? Hey, contact us now. Yeah, we're um, definitely... The earlier, the better. I mean, we can. We have the ability to get a house ready and up really quickly. So we can do that. But the earlier, the better, because there's always stuff to do. We like to be involved in like some of the decisions that you might be making about upgrading your home, get trades in there. It always takes way longer to pack up than you think. So we're always really happy. I met with people that aren't listing their house until September, after September 2021 next year but it allows us to really get a, a proper game plan and kind of make it an enjoyable experience rather than stressful, but we can do it much quicker also. We've done it in a week. I mean, we prefer not to, but we have done it in a week. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah <laughs> we it's all always stressful. Yeah. But, and it worked out well, but it's like we have to hustle and we're okay with that. <laughs> what, what's your opinion on staging and, and colors and stuff like that? I know I, like many people through COVID, I, I did a facelift on my house and Oh, I thought you said you did a facelift. But oh, no. Justin, I'm natural. <laughs> that was the that was the Movember thing. I, I am au naturel. Okay, fair enough. Um, but uh, no, so what what we see is is what, what what I was seeing is a lot of people were doing renovations, and I was like, I'm going to do that too. And then I got recommended. You're thinking about selling in a couple in a year, a couple of years. You should do light grays and and monotones on your walls and 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 really declutter. What what's your opinion on that? What do you guys see? Oh, 100%. I mean, we don't, you know, if we're going to list your home and you have hot pink walls, we probably advise you to to paint them on something neutral. It also shows better in pictures. You know, if you have, like, nice light gray or white walls, it's easier for us to go in and have it staged. And, you know, it just shows a lot better, presents itself more so like a, a showroom as to, opposed to having, like, fluorescent pink or whatever walls, yeah. for sure. What can – so when you list a house, as far as – you know, getting it up there and then taking an offer in. There's a couple of worst case scenarios that could happen. How can you protect yourself as a seller? I know what I would do, but what are you guys telling people? Because I know you did a post recently relating to the worst case scenarios. You know, the buyer can't sell their house, that kind of stuff. How are we protecting our sellers against those worst case scenarios? 
Definitely with sellers, the, one of the biggest things we do is a pre-listing home inspection, just so that the sellers are aware of everything that's going on with their house. That way there's no surprises once you get an offer. Hopefully that helps you secure a firm offer. But if the buyer does have their own home inspector go through the house, you're not going to be left trying to negotiate off of the price that you originally agreed to based on something that they found that you weren't aware of. So that's, a, that's a, probably one of the biggest things. A huge, a huge thing that, that I don't see happen very often that's saved our, saved our butts quite a bit. And actually just last week we had a situation where a lot of people don't check the City of Toronto website to see if the house has any open permits on it. Like if there's been any work done to a home, usually, you know, depending on this, the scope of the work, you'll need to pull a permit, have the city come and issue the permit, come midway through and inspect that the work is being done okay. And then when it's done, they come back and close the permit. Oftentimes, people will forget to close a permit. So you'll have this open permit on a home that could really get in the way if you buy the house. You might not even notice it because lawyers don't, won't even check it that often. Five years down the road, you're like, hey, you know what? I want to renovate this part of my house. You go to apply for a permit. The city's like, oh, well, hold up. We've got a, you know, you've underpinned your basement here. We see this open permit that was never closed. They could create a whole bunch of problems for you down the road. There's one little thing. It takes two seconds to do. That's hugely helpful. Is there a problem with people just not getting permits in general? Is that an issue? I mean, in Burlington, I'm in sure the- people do it quite a bit, but I mean, it's pretty, I mean, buyers are pretty savvy. You know, buyers aren't stupid. And if they come across a property, especially a significantly renovated one that has no history of permits, they're, they're going to find out. I recently went on a bachelor party to Philadelphia and we stayed at an Airbnb and it was right downtown Philadelphia. And this place, like, you're walking around inside of it and you're like, there is no way. Like, it was a nice house. It was a nice row home townhouse, Philadelphia, if you've ever been there. But it was like, there is no way that this staircase to the basement is code. And and when we asked the Airbnb guy about it, we didn't care, but it was just a bachelor party. But we asked the guy about it and he just said, well, we, we got grandfathered in Philadelphia's very old city. I'm sure that happens in Toronto. Toronto is a very old city itself. Are there... Houses that get grandfathered in, do you need to, if there are things like that that aren't up to code when you sell, does that stuff have to be brought up to code or is it grandfathered or? Yeah, I mean, there's stuff that you need, there's nothing that you need to do. Like if you buy a house and it's got no permits and things have done been done with permits and there's nothing open and there happens to be something that sits at a different level versus today's code, you don't have to remedy that. Like the most common thing is on the second level of a lot of these older downtown homes, you've got the railing, which is usually, if it hasn't been updated in the past like 30 or 40 years, it'll be like between two and three feet, but it has to be at three feet. So like little things like that, you know, but aside from that, like I can't, there's no real situation where you have to remedy something because the codes have changed. I'm going to ask this in sort of a leading way so we can get into another set of topics altogether, but what should we be looking for when we're interviewing a realtor as a seller agent or a buyer agent for that matter, but mostly as a seller agent from that point of view, because that's a very important one. A lot of times people don't interview as buyer agents, which they probably should be doing. But as if I'm, if I'm, you know, calling a bunch of seller agents in, what are my, what are my top things that I'm looking for and what questions would flush out what I need to do in today's day and age, especially more than ever, because we're online a lot. So that's where I'm kind of going with this. What, what questions do we need to start so, asking? So to clarify, this is if I'm selling my house. Yeah. If you're selling your house, you're going to have 
all four of us in, well, three of us, I guess, two team members. And, uh, and you're going to ask us all individual questions. Okay. Uh, what are, what are you, what should we be asking? Sir, you specialize. Do you specialize in this area? I would look at I would look at the agent's marketing, and if there's anywhere in that marketing says we specialize in the GTA, you should not even let them in your house. <laughs> there's, no, there's no such thing as specializing in the GTA. That is actually impossible. So I would eliminate that. I would eliminate that person right away. I think you know a, a lot of it is what kind of value you're going to bring because it, there's sixty thousand over sixty thousand agents in the Toronto Real Estate Board now, I believe. You know, not all of them are going to bring the same value. Are they going to hire like a professional stager? Are they going to market the property? You know, even though we have, we're in the seller's market, you still have to market it effectively. You know, are they going to get a professional photographer to come in? Are they going to take pictures with their cell phone, which drives me nuts? But I think like you really have to find out what kind of value they're going to bring. How are they going to market your home effectively? And also at the same time, make the process as stress-free as possible for you as a seller. Yeah, like understand what you need as like, uh, are you the kind of person that's more hands-on and you prefer to do a lot of things yourself than, you know, agents like, I don't want to speak for, for Stacey and April, but me, I'm not, I'm not your agent then probably. You know, my clients are usually really busy people that don't have the time to do all the things that you need to do to manage a successful sale from staging which sometimes includes full-blown renovation right through to handling those multiple offer situations mm -hmm. my typical client is just an incredibly busy person that just doesn't have time for that so if that you have to understand who you are and what you need and you know for me people call me because they know i handle things start to finish they want to see what that process looks like so does your agent have a defined uh, system for doing what you need them to do you'll find that Many agents will tell you what they're going to do, but they don't have it systemized where you know what's coming next. And that's the huge thing is like the biggest stress isn't actually, you know, selling your house. It's not knowing what's going to happen next. And having that proper system will tell you what's going to happen next. And that, my clients have seen a ton of value in that. Mm -hmm. How do you, how, what's the, what's the value of online marketing in that system? Like what's the, I had a lady recently, actually, she's an older lady and she lives in a huge property that's probably worth more than $2 million say to me that she's dead set on being in the Globe and Mail and in that newspaper. And she says, I want to be in the home of the week in the Globe and Mail. You have to go pick it. She told me to go pick it up on Friday and uh, go look at what, what's in there this week. And we'll, you know, that's where I want to be. So I went and looked and I saw this big two page thing about, home of the week. And I think that it's an interesting concept because I can probably leverage it for myself as a, a bit of PR to say I was in this, if I can get in there, but from a, from a sales standpoint, where's the value of that versus Facebook or Google or some of those other avenues? Stacy, what have you, what have you done? Well, I mean, we generally don't, we have been, Featured as home of the week, you know, just generically, we have relationships with people at the Toronto Star and that. So sometimes we can manage to get that happen. But the cost of, you know, advertising in papers, we just find hasn't been as effective as our online marketing campaign. It's just it is very important now to have a strong online marketing campaign because people with 
COVID and that have been a little pickier about where they go, which houses they're seeing. So it's really, really important these days to put your best face forward and get your house looking and being marketed as well as possible so that you get as many people to the house as you can. We also try to discuss who the appropriate buyer will be with our clients. That's really important. So we'll actually send them out ahead of time. After we meet with them, we'll send them a website that will basically go through everything we discussed and it will show who we need to focus our marketing on. Is the perfect buyer going to be an upsizer? Is it going to be an investor? Is it going to be a downsizer? And then we figure out a great marketing plan working around who the ideal buyer will be for those properties. How often do you guys get cold calls off online listings and, and, and stuff like that? I think it's called, what is it? Matrix, MLS and stuff like that. I know I've done it in the past. I've just been bombing through there and saw a house in my neighborhood and I'm like, mm, maybe I want to go take a look and I just cold call someone. Do, do you get a lot of cold calls or is it mostly all agent to agent or, or buyer to agent type of thing? No, we get cold calls. Yeah. Stacey actually sold a house in the summertime from someone that was walking by and saw a sign. A for sale sign. Yeah, I happen to be just in the right spot at the right time. <laughs> yeah. uh, it was our, our our listing and they wanted to see it. And I asked the proper COVID regulations. We have forms and things that everybody fills out. So um, once we knew it was all right, we showed them the house and they did end up buying it. So it definitely does happen that people call you off of realtor.ca. Maybe they haven't met an agent yet that they're working with so people do shop online and definitely reach out to the listing agents i think it's a little different because you guys bring a different aspect to it because of being in the city like you guys are when i was looking for my apartment for for school i was only renting but it was all online i went all online and and that's how i found it because going downtown toronto it's hard to you're not gonna be able to walk down young street and be like i want that one right there well, that, that actually, big, you know, brings up a good point, you know, especially in Toronto, there's a higher con- like density of homes in Burlington. There's not as much obviously, but how I, it brings up the idea that having a buyer agent is probably more important in a bigger city than it is in like country bumpkin town where there's not as many homes. Where there's three streets that you can yeah, just Yeah. I mean, you know, sale. when you've yeah. got, to, when you've got to wade through all that information to find the, a deal or a property or whatever, what's, what's that? situation like is is there a lot of people calling directly or is it do you find a lot more buyer agents out there no they call directly and a lot of things a lot of times a lot of the sign calls that we get are for people that think they're going to get a better deal on the property if they go directly to the listing agent there's a couple problems with that it's like number one i have no idea who you are so like why am i going to work to save you money if i'm going to save anybody any money it's going to be my seller client so if there's going to be any sort of um, discount on commissions, it's not going to reflect in the purchase price. It's going to reflect in my client's pocket, the person who's actually hired me, not the buyer. So there's not really a huge opportunity to kind of get around any sort of, to, to get any potential savings calling the listing agent. And then you'll often find people doing that and they're hopping from agent to agent to agent. And then there's really no trust, no relationship, no value. And these people either end up overpaying for a property or they end up not buying a property at all. And like a prime example is about six weeks ago, my mortgage broker called me and said, hey, I've got these clients that are about to make an offer on a house through a listing agent. I think you should speak to them. So I called them and we talked and we, I eventually helped them buy the house, probably like the best deal of the century for them. But what they were about to do was they were about to pay $200,000 over the asking price because that's what the listing agent was instructing them to do. 
under the guise that there were other offers coming in. This was an offer night. There were no other offers coming in. This was the only person at the table. So they called me and I said, did you have anything signed with this listing agent? They said, no, we got the, and then I found out that this seller had just purchased something and they were super nervous about not selling the home. So we ended up getting the house for the asking price, which was positioned for multiple offers. And in any normal market would have gotten multiple offers. But for some reason that night it didn't. And this listing agent was trying to get these people and they were about to put pen to paper at 200K more than what we bought it for. It was crazy. My strategy that I think I'm going to go with is I think I'm going to sell my house and then go with cash to buy another house. What would you guys recommend? Do you, do you go and put offer down and then try to sell? Do you do it at the same time? Do you get the cash from your house and then try to make offers, maybe lowball or say, I got this right now, right? What's it's your- all cash, man. Whether, whether it's mortgage or cash money, it's all cash. It doesn't matter to a seller. That's yeah. like a big, uh, a big misconception out there. It's like, you know, you see those million dollar listing TV shows. 20 million, all cash. 10 yeah. But what I'm saying is, is like, you know, when, when, when it's like, okay, here's stipulations and then pendant on me getting my, my mortgage from the bank and stuff like that, I can say, I have this right away, right now, ready for you. Like, what, what, what? the market. You, yeah. you have to assess the market. If you're selling a condo and buying a house, you should probably make sure that condo is sold first before buying that house because the condo market's a little iffy. You don't know what it's going to sell for. You don't know how much it's going to sell for, but houses are on fire. So you're going to be competing. So it's good to have something sold and fully funded and ready to go when you're making the purchase. But if you're going from like a hot market to a hot market kind of product, you want to make that buy first. So you know that you have a place to go. And then you sell that asset that you know is going to sell really well because it's a seller's market. So in Burlington right now, there's just in and around 300 listings on the market as a whole, like all of the listings on the market in Burlington, which is extraordinarily low. When I started in the industry 16 years ago, I never would have seen it go below 400 on a year to year basis. And then 2017 rolled around and we were down to 270 ish in around uh, April, 2017. And it went from, April to May, it went from 270 listings to over 700 in the space of 30 days. So that was a major shift. But the point is, is that when you have as, as few listings as you do right now on the market in our town, and every, like you said, every market's a little different, you really have to be careful because you list your house on Thursday, it's probably going to be sold by Friday or by Sunday. If you don't have a place to go in the next 60 days, you may not find something. So if, yeah. if your buyer's not doing their, their, or their buyer agents not doing their due diligence to try to find you a property or there just isn't anything, you're going to be in a tough spot. So in our market right now, the recommendation from our point of view is definitely go out looking first and find that property because part two of that is you could be in multiple offers seven times before you find a property. I'm in the Burlington almost entry level market. I have a townhouse in a townhouse neighborhood in Burlington. So it's entry level for almost a million bucks. Yeah. In Burlington. Yeah. Uh. That's what it is. But (laughs) the homes in my neighborhood are going up for sale. The, The sign goes on their front lawn one or two days later, it says sold. They're, they're moving fast. And so that's like, you're seeing my neighborhood's turning over. Quite to put a bit it into now. perspective, in his neighborhood, I sold my house in 20, uh, 2018 for eight seventy five. It was a two thousand square foot, uh, two thousand square foot three bedroom plus family room upstairs. Sold it for eight seventy five at the end of last year, and now there's million dollar townhouses that 
eclipse what my detached house sold for. So the, I mean, I've, I've, regretted, I've regretted every piece of real estate I've ever sold. <laughs> That's amazing. Uh, That's amazing. I, I'm the same. I sold my I sold my townhouse in Toronto. There's a row of ten that are exactly the same, built in 2013. I sold mine for nine hundred and thirty thousand bucks. One year later, I sold my neighbor's exact same townhouse for one point three five. No. <laughs> it hurts so much. It hurts so much. It, it hurts so that's much. a that's so a nice much. that's a nice Lamborghini right there. Difference. <laughs> I, I Thanks for the reminder, bro. <laughs> my first house I bought off of Ossington, it was I paid four hundred and forty thousand for it. Now it's like. I don't even want to know. <laughs> I don't even want to know what it's worth. But. I think I everybody's got a story going, like that, though. Everybody's yeah. got that yeah. story. Where yeah. Back in the day, this is what my house was worth if I'd have held on to it. My townhouse was a new build. My dad bought in for two twenty. Well, they're and they're I mean, worth not, like eight hundred. Talking about back in the day, we're talking about like four years ago. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. that's good. But you know what? When you sold it, you probably did really well, right? All right, you probably felt good about it when you sold it at the time. No, there's a whole story around that. That's, <laughs> that's another podcast. We do it, yeah, we usually do what we have to do at the time because that's what we have to do to get to the next property, right? Yeah. So, yeah, we just talk to everybody and you just have to make the best choice. We always bring up the potential of can you keep the house, right? The best thing to do is always to hang on to property. So we always bring that up in our conversation. If it's at all possible to take equity out and keep the house to purchase the next house, then sure. But a lot of times people can't do that and they need the the sale of their house to you know fund the next one. We've all got families. What's the let's get into like just really quickly the balancing act for you guys as realtors and family people of you know kind of how do you how do you get around the day-to-day activities? How do you balance real estate with family and and making sure your clients are taken care of but also being there for your family? I grew up in a house where, you know, I don't begrudge it, but I remember all the family around the dinner table, including grandma, grandpa, everybody. And my mom wasn't there because she'd be out doing stuff. And I always looked at that as an opportunity for me to evolve my business into a thing that wasn't that way where I could still be at that family dinner table, but have a business running and and doing well outside of that. How have you guys managed to, you know, take that on and, and, and run with that and block your time properly? Ara, start with Ara. Uh, you, you still figuring well, it out? <laughs> I mean, listen, I'm, I'm in a, I'm in a huge growth phase right now. So I'm, I'm in the process of building a team and a system where like 18 months from now, I'm going to be working a hell of a lot less than I am right now. So there's really, first of all, real estate and work-life balance is not really a thing, not because you're working all the time, but in order to be successful in real estate, in my opinion, you always have to have like be in tune with with it and kind of it's very easy to lose the pulse of what's going on so it's just part of who i am so that's just always there but like you know the reason why we create content like this and put stuff like this out there is so people can like be exposed to who we are and what we do when we're not physically working and, and doing things to help generate that interest in, in business for us so you know i'm not maybe the best one to answer this question because i work Time. <laughs> yeah, I think that's the biggest misconception about getting into real estate. I think a lot of people when COVID first happened and I've had some clients that have jobs and got laid off, they approached me and said, Hey, I, I want to get into real estate. I love showing homes. That'd be great because I can spend more time with my kids. And I think that's a big misconception because I think showing homes is really a small percentage of what we actually do. 
But for me, I, I kind of made it a priority to at least always be there to drop my kids off at school and always pick them up and bring them home. I've been able to work a schedule around that. And Stacey and I have an assistant, and that alone is life-changing because having an assistant really helps you grow your business. They can take care of a lot of things that you don't really have to worry about, and you can really concentrate on sales and marketing and, and all that kind of stuff. So I don't think – I think Ara's right. There's not really any work-life balance with selling real estate. It becomes like a more of a lifestyle, you know? Yep. And I think it's like yeah. in order to succeed, you have to really love it. And you have to embrace that lifestyle and have your family embrace that as well, too. Yeah. I mean, there, there are ways, like you said, we have admin staff and support people that, you know, we put in a position to help us work a little less uh, from time to time. But there are parts of the year where you're going all out and some parts of the year where, where you're not. And through various coaches that we all know, we're learning how to how to, how to balance that out with uh, automating a lot of things that we would have to kind of do ourselves. So we're just kind of always learning how to how to be more efficient. And real estate's a very one-on-one experience too, right? You can't, Mm -hmm. you can't, it's hard to, when people come to us to want to work with us, they want to work with us for the most part. And so- Yeah, but it's all about how you set that expectation, you know, like how you set that up with clients. I agree 100%. So that's what I was going to get into. And so that's why, like you guys, Stacy and April have teamed up together to be able to provide something. Ara has a team. He's got another a partner that works on the spring team with him. And I have the same thing where I've got a couple buyer agents that work for me and I'm able to leverage that time. Like actually taking buyers away from me has been a genius thing. Even though I probably wasn't ready at that level yet last year when we started that, it really was an opportunity for me to say, yeah, I can spend that time with my kids at hockey in Pittsburgh and all over the place. We're not going now this year, but last year was a lot of time spent away. We went to Florida for hockey, which seems mm-hmm. insane. Don't get me wrong. It seems complete, insane when you say it oh, doesn't make look, sense. Toronto's the epicenter of hockey no, but even, in North America. Even but, just saying Pittsburgh, you want to get to Pittsburgh. It's like, <laughs> well, oh, Pittsburgh's yeah, a nice COVID, city. I know I've been, I've been, but it's just one of those funny things. Yeah. Like, it's like, oh, you know, I really wish I could go to Pittsburgh. <laughs> <laughs> it's like an upgrade of it's like an upgraded Hamilton. I yeah, think. it's a nice Hamilton. It's a nicer version of Hamilton. Sunk down into the valley with the two rivers. Yeah, it's it's a nice spot. But anyway, the point is, I've been able to leverage the time to be able to create space to have that ability. And to be honest, I haven't. Have you, any of you guys experienced any people kind of saying to you, uh, "We're not going to work with you because of those situations"? I've not had one person be annoyed that I put family first. No, I think they, I did have one situation when I was pregnant with my second child where the client was a little bit, I don't know, she was kind of weirded out the fact that I was pregnant. Didn't affect anything, but that was something to do with her. But I don't know. I think people just kind of, they respect that and they're really caring about that. And sometimes they just, they appreciate that you can kind of relate to them if they're parents themselves. So Yeah. And I think that we really try and hire, like we really work hard on our systems, but we also really work hard on being clear about what our values are as a business. And so we try and really hire people that are like-minded and that are going to provide the type of service. We would never bring somebody onto our team. We have a new buyer agent and we just know that when we send her out, if I can't make it somewhere, I've called her a couple times and she shows up and I know that my clients are going to be taken care of and very happy because she's she communicates the same way that we do. So I think that's just really important having a good team around you that can step in and you know is going to take care of your clients and treat them and communicate the way that you would want them to be treated. 
Okay. I want to know, you guys are all experienced realtors. You've been in the business for a while now. What is the craziest story you we were have reading each other's minds about showing a house or, or going to a showing? What have you walked in on? What was, <laughs> I'm, I don't know if I can tell mine. Shows. <laughs> well, I'll lead with mine and then we can see where it goes. I had a, I had a client, we, we listed a house and I, it was a, an, an older mom and a sort of a, late teen, early twenties daughter sort of thing. And, and we, we did an open house. It was one of the first open houses I ever did in my career. And I walked into the house and got, you walk through and you kind of fluff it up to get it ready for the open house. You turn on lights everywhere. And so on the daughter's bedroom was a mess. The bed wasn't made. There was like clothes everywhere. So I'm shoving clothes and underwear under her bed because she didn't clean anything, get the bed all nicely put together. And I walk over to the dresser with a wide open drawer and in this wide open drawer, and I'm not naming names here, so it should be fine. But in this wide open drawer is this giant pink dildo. So this is what we're talking about here. Today? This is okay. how we've digressed. But this is my craziest story. What am I supposed to do? I've had other interesting things, but nothing as crazy as this. So I just gently shut the drawer and turned around and walked out of the room and left the rest of the room the way it was. So that's my craziest story. That's what I got. Just an electric toothbrush. <laughs> an electric toothbrush. Easy. I had a, I walked in on a guy in the shower one time. Oh, see, that's <laughs> yeah. better than a. Yeah, that's, that's yeah. happening for sure. Yeah. You were yeah. showing a house? No, it was actually one of my listings. And they, my clients were out of town and they didn't tell me that their friend was staying over. Oh. And I came, I came to drop off some feature books and I opened the door and there's a guy coming out of the shower. <laughs> that's fantastic. I was more embarrassed than he was. He was just like, hey, how's it going? <laughs> yeah, just lean into it. <laughs> yeah, he was just like, okay. <laughs> Fair enough. Stacy, what do you got for me? Oh, my gosh. I think just like the most, like other than like similar versions of what you've had happen, the most awkward times are usually when there's tenants occupying the house. because It's just sometimes they surprise. I've run into people that were really angry and chased us out of the house. Like there's been some really like, you know, run for your life moments. So tenants definitely provide interesting experiences when showing houses, especially if you're not expected. For sure. Yeah. All right, Ara, what's the one you can't tell? Well, I mean, Can you I edit it? Is there a way to edit it? No, like it's fine. Like since you said dildo, I feel like it's open now for me to talk about <laughs> Wide it. open. That's why I did it. That's why so, I did it. So I'm showing this I'm showing this condo. It's like a one bedroom condo. So you walk in, there's no den, nothing. So it's like living room, office, dining room, like it's all like one big space. So I open the door, <clears throat> clients walk in and they like almost steamroll over me running out. I'm like, what the f- like what's 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 happening here? So I look over, and this guy is sitting at his computer, completely naked, <laughs> headphones on, going to town, doing you know what, and watching you know what on his computer screen. Oh my goodness! Like as if we're not even there, and just like <laughs> it's the best session of his whole life just happening right then and there. And, Honestly, to this day, I don't think that that person knows that somebody saw him do that. <laughs> he had no clue there. He had no clue he had, he had these big headphones on. <laughs> It'd be a little worse if he did know that you were there. I think it's a little bit more comforting knowing that he didn't know you were there. You know, whatever, whatever floats your boat. But... He had an audience. That's but, amazing. Uh, that's the situation right there. So, 
That's amazing. Thanks so much, guys. We are done. This has been amazing. I'm going to put all your contact deals details below so that we everybody can get in touch with you. Thanks so much for coming on, guys. Have a wonderful day. Thanks, Ryan. All right. Thank you. Talk to you soon. Bye, guys. guys. Thanks, guys. That was another episode of The Underground. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss out on any future episodes. Also, follow Justin on Facebook and see what he's up to in the real estate world at Justin Lon Carrick. And check out what Ryan is doing on the ice at more.hockey.